Education was not simply another part of American society. It was the key that opened the golden door. Through education, you learn how to learn. We must trust, we must trust students to learn if given a chance. To learn if if the pursuit of learning is not defended by the educated citizen, it will not be defended at all. Welcome to the 180 Days Podcast, where we're going to be talking about all things education, having to do with parents, students, teachers, policy, kind of whatever is happening in the news and what's relevant in the world today. I am Karen Greenhouse, one of your hosts, and we are on episode 11, and our other host, Tim Pope, is here as well. We're on 11, and you're still speaking to me. This is awesome. It has its days, I tell you. And we are lucky today we're going to be joined by three different guests. And our focus of today's episode is on the Me Too movement, which is a really big emphasis today in our world, politics, Hollywood, schools. And so we really wanted to kind of take a look at what does it look like in the K-12 environment? What should be happening? How should teachers and schools be handling sexual harassment and bullying, those types of things? And just a little bit is a a friend from college and her daughter has a personal experience that she's going to share with us. And we're kind of going to get this perspective from her mother and how a parent handles this and students' perspective and kind of where should we then go from there. So a little later in the episode, we're going to be talking to a principal talking about, you know, what should schools be doing to kind of create a culture where this type of harassment is addressed. And I can only speak from my perspective at this point as a teacher. I know that when I started teaching, we had to watch little videos on what was sexual harassment and what you should and shouldn't say to your colleagues, to students, what you needed to do if you suspected sexual harassment or bullying or abuse, how to report it. We had a whole kind of legal thing that we were required to do. And Tim, I don't know, I would imagine you had the same type of thing in the schools you taught it as well. Oh yeah, in terms of Title IX. Title IX is a federal law for over 40 years. It's a civil rights law that prohibits institutions that are federally funded, so that would be schools, against sexual discrimination, sexual assault, harassment, anything that infringes on right to participate. So that law exists, which means that schools have an obligation to make sure that if students are being sexually harassed or gender-based bullying, those types of things, that there's protections, that they can report it to somebody and that something is done. At the end of the day, what it comes down to is the, I mean, this goes back to our episode on who do you complain to about what, is that the federal government is in charge of making sure you have access to education. Well, if you're dealing with being bullied or if you're being sexually harassed, you do not have access to an education at that time. Therefore, that falls under Title IX. And sexual harassment, it can take many forms in a public education. Well, anywhere. But in a public education, you can have a student-on-student sexual harassment. You can have student-on-teacher or teacher-on-student or teacher-to-teacher, principal-to-teacher. There's a lot of different ways that it can manifest itself. Um, I had a personal experience where I had a student-on-teacher. I was my first year teaching, and I was teaching in a middle school, and I had a boy in one of my classes who was harassing me. He would come up and kind of try and touch me all the time and say inappropriate, very inappropriate things, which I am not going to share here. Um, And I went and reported it to my principal. And the reaction from my principal was, and so this is back in 1989, the reaction from my principal was, he just has a crush on you. He wants to be your friend. Ignore it. 
And I'm like, well, I mean, he is in my personal space. And nothing was done because it was considered he just wants to be your friend. And it got to a point where he started calling my home. You know, back in those days, we had white pages. Um, so they could look you up. So he started calling my home and saying inappropriate things. And so my husband, well, he wasn't my husband at the time, he got on and threatened to call the police. And we went back to the principal and said, we are going to press charges if something's not done. So they finally took him out of my classroom. But that was not handled very appropriately because it was considered, oh, he's just a student. He's not going to hurt you, those types of things. So even though we had that Title IX in place, it was not handled appropriate, but it was a new teacher. I didn't want to, you know, hurt anyone's feelings, that type of thing. So I didn't know how to handle it. So this leads me into our current situation where we have our guests. We have Mia and Ava from Virginia. And Ava is a, so she's a 15-year-old freshman in high school, right? Yes. Okay. So, so Ava's had an experience, and I'm going to let Ava just kind of share her experience of sexual harassment in her current school? Well, it was started out as me and this guy just being friends. And I was in art class one day and it got to the point where he was touching, he started touching my shoulders and he started saying some flirty things. And you had told him that you just want to be friends. Yeah. I told him that I just want to be friends. And right. It was, It got to the point where I just told him to stop multiple times, and he didn't. And it went from the shoulders to touching my hand to touching my thigh to cornering me in the classroom trying to give me a hug. And it got out of hand. Dude. And I told the teacher, too, that day that he cornered me in the classroom. And she moved him, and he kept coming back wow. during the class. And then I told my mom. So did you feel that teacher handled it appropriately or did you think it was not enough? I think I think it wasn't enough because I told her multiple times that day. It was and going on for two weeks and progressing and the la- the final draw I told the teacher and she moved him away multiple times and told me that it was going to be okay and she didn't really Wow. She didn't really tell the principal about it because I told her that it was carrying on way too long and that she really had to do something about it because I couldn't do anything about it other than go to the principal myself. And I didn't feel like that was I didn't feel comfortable. So I don't think she handled it as well as she could have. And, and Mia, I know you're her mother. I'm sure when she told you, you you got right on things knowing you. <laughs> Well, well, yeah, um, I was kind of surprised that the that the teacher hadn't gone to the principal after Ava, you know, telling her multiple times that this boy was bothering her um, because it had gone on for two weeks before Ava said anything to to me about it. Um, I did call the principal immediately. Now, I do live in a small community and I've been involved in the public schools for many years, so they they know me. Um, and the principal said he would get right on it, um, and take care of it. Of course, you never find out exactly what happens to the person who, you know, commits the crime, um, other than they, they talked to him and gave him a warning, you know, so that he wouldn't do it again. So what was the end result? Like, obviously he got called into the principal, had the warning, but did they remove him from the classroom or any, did anything like that happen? Nope. 
no removal. He got his seat pushed away from mine, moved away. He still, I mean, he doesn't bother me anymore, but he still looks across the classroom sometimes at me. And I think that day that he found out or his parents were called and he was called in, they did take him out of the class that day. But then that afternoon, he seemed to end up in hallways that he shouldn't have been in at the time. So I told my daughter, I said, well, if you see if you see him throughout the day in the hallways, start recording what day you see him and at what time, because if it doesn't match up with his schedule, then he's stalking you. Yeah. Yeah. and I'll go back to the principal. Yeah. Being in such a small school, there isn't the opportunity to move him out of a classroom without changing his complete schedule. And I think they felt that, okay, they will give him a warning and see how, how he takes that. Um, but I've also heard that this ch- particular child is a little handsy across the board. He, I don't know if this is his first really? warning or or not, and, and no one would ever tell me that, but... They're not going to. What, what I'm surprised at is knowing knowing what I and I taught in Virginia, so I'm following rules that apply to the you know five schools that I taught in, and we were always as teachers as part of this Title IX. If you see abuse, um, sexual harassment, those types of things, you as a teacher are legally responsible to report it to the principal and get that next step going, which would have been calling that boy in. So it is surprising to me that the teacher did not take action other than moving the seat. That is because technically, legally, that is what you're supposed to. Yeah. And hearing that from you is a little upsetting that um, she didn't take it a little bit more seriously. And she said she had noticed to you that she had noticed he was getting handsy. Yeah. And when I finally brought the subject up, she said to me that he, she noticed that he was getting too handsy with me, but also other girls. And she never really brought it up and she never acted on it. So knowing that that kind of makes me even more aggravated and upset. So is there something you wish the principal would have done? Or is that just a feeling like, all right, you're frustrated, you're you're hurt, and and you wish this guy would feel a little hurt too? I was frustrated that he didn't get um, more than just a warning because of just how I, how I felt and what I went through mentally. But I think the principal, he did give them a fair chance because he hasn't gotten a warning in the past. But moving him away from me wasn't a punishment. Because he still, like, he made the decision to walk over to me every day and, like, hold my hand or give me a hug. So he can make the decision to get up out of his seat and come over to me and give me a hug. I think that I want, what I wanted was for him to at least get out of the class because I didn't want to have that, the picture running through my mind and worrying, having to worry about in that class still about that guy coming up to me. And saying something, I agree. I think that I, that would have been the punishment. I think I would have liked is is for him to have been removed from the classroom. But Mia, you said it's a small school environment, so that's a very difficult thing. Well, there's two art classes, and there's my teacher's art class, and there's another teacher's art class. And he could have. There's another art class going on when we have oh, so art. There is. So they could have moved him. Yeah, and. I think they wanted to warn them him first, but I still think that he could have been moved. Wow. I didn't realize there's another art class going on at the same time. And that's what frustrated me. And and if you still feel uncomfortable with this, I'd be happy to call up the principal again yeah. and say, you know what? My daughter's still feeling uncomfortable in that class. You need to move that kid. 
Yeah. Or I will come into your office and sit there until you do. Yeah. Because you know I will. Yep, you will. <laughs> she will. <laughs> exactly. Ava, do you have a perspective at this point to look and think in terms of how this whole event is affecting um, your ability to focus, concentrate in, in that class or in school at all, knowing that there's this underlying um, unhealthy relationship or unhealthy incident that's still meandering around? Yeah, especially in that class. It's an art class, so I find myself wanting to go to that class. But once the situation happened, I found myself not wanting to go to that class as much, not wanting to learn as much about the whole um, just participating in that class. And I constantly have to look, watch my back now for even not just even him, but all boys in, in a whole, because I don't feel safe having guys around me or like touching my my shoulders or anything like that. So I'm very wary now. And it has changed how I see school in a whole because of how it did turn out. So. So Mia, how do how do you feel now? Because knowing that Ava's feeling like this when she goes to school, I mean that's that's got to be it's sad and it's must be frustrating. It's unnerving uh, to know that she feels like that. Um, I can only give her tools to be able to be a stronger person and not put up with anybody's BS. Um, it's unfortunate. You know, you got to so many women have gone through something similar to this. I I mean, 99 percent of the women I know have experienced uh, something to the effect. Right. I'm thankful that it wasn't any more serious, although it did affect my girl. Um, But now she knows when to say no and when to stand up and and shout it from the rooftops that this isn't right and I deserve better. And and you actually doing this podcast is giving her a voice that she may not have normally had. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are like, gave us or looked at me funny for putting it out on Facebook. And I did that because I wanted to show her the support she has in the community. I wanted the community to know what was going on and and be aware of it. And not keep it in the shadows. This is something that we all need to communicate about. It is not a taboo subject. Um, it is something that needs to be addressed. So in, in preparing for this for this podcast, I did some research. And, and then granted, the data I found is uh, it's a few years old. And of course, Greenhouse, because she's Greenhouse, will post all this on the website so you can get to what I'm talking about here. But it said, it said basically half of the students, male and female together, half of the high school students experienced sexual harassment at school at some point during, uh, during their grades 7 through 12 years. Yet only 9% of those students ever reported. So why do you think there's that disparity? Why are students so willing to silently accept? Um, and I, mean to right. say, I don't mean to say that judgmentally, but why are students basically, so many students silently accepting um, harassing behavior? Well, I think the big part of it is not having it spread because of the drama in high school and even middle schools or just school all around. The whole s- social media aspect, too, adds on to the sexual harassment. Um, and they're worried about people knowing about it and who it's between. So they don't want their name to be put into drama 
Um, but also because I don't think that a lot of people are confident in themselves enough to where they trust in others to do something about it. And some some kids don't have that support. So if they even do bring it up, it doesn't get out. doesn't get recognized. Yeah, it doesn't get recognized. And when you say support, you mean because you mean by support by your your parents who you definitely have that. So, yeah, parents, teachers, uh, I mean, even principals. I mean, as in your case, if Ava had gone to the teacher and relied on the teacher, uh, obviously nothing would have, would have happened. happened. Luckily, she was comfortable enough to come to her parents. Um, and I think it's an embarrassing situation. It is. It's embarrassing to 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 be made to be feel small like that. Oh, yeah. Now, obviously, you've made the decision to be public about it. I'm assuming the school knows you've reported it. Uh, Mia, you said that like you've you've met, talked about it on Facebook. So you guys have made the decision as a family to be to be public about this. So, Ava, have you paid a price at school socially? Like, how has this affected you moving forward? The fact that you've decided to be open and public about this? I haven't gotten like I haven't gotten any bullying or anyone telling me like if I did something wrong or that. Have you gotten the opposite? Have, yeah. Have you, or do they know, or do the kids know? Most of the kids don't know. And I was glad that most of the kids don't know, like my good friends do, but not, I didn't really sure. like say it to everyone because I didn't want it to get out, but I'm not public with it because it's just the right thing to do for other girls. And I, I want other girls to see that if a teenager can do it, and this happened to me, then I think I want to make a big example. Well, it's interesting because you are, she, she is physically a stronger girl. Um, so it it is interesting to say, hey, if it can happen to me, yeah, um, it can happen to anybody and it's not right. So, so Ava, you are lucky to have a parent who's going to go to bat for you and has talked to you about these things, but there are kids out there who, who don't, right? So- as somebody who's experienced this, what can you tell a student, uh, somebody who who doesn't have a parent who's going to go to bat for them? Who should they talk to if something like this happens to them? Who do you think should be their first line of defense if they're if they don't think their parent will be? Well, first of all, I understand that a lot of kids don't want to go to their school t- counselors. Mm-hmm. It's just not a thing that a lot of kids want to do. But I think it is a good option, and I think if it's what I experienced going straight to the principal. I mean, just skipping that step with the teacher, because in my experience, at least, I didn't feel that the teacher did enough. And I think I, I expressed that. But I think going straight, yeah, going farther up will make a bigger change. Yeah, no, or never stopping. And just, yeah, just never stopping. Keep pushing at it. Does your school have any programs i mean like any sort of programs like character building programs i know that sounds a little hokey but programs to try to create a to create a healthier culture in the school well the funny thing is is that it was that very day that they had a program assembly for the teachers i believe on assault and um personal space so it wasn't anything for the students nope do you think any of it has to do with like Maybe some students don't even know that what they're experiencing is sexual harassment. I mean, do you think that has any play in it? Yes, I think that has a big play in it because at first I didn't see it as sexual harassment either when he was touching my shoulders and holding my hand. But when I saw back at it, 
and I was I went through health class. So there is, in theory, a mechanism in the schools for students. Oh, yes, definitely. I'm in gym now, so I have health class in the middle of it, and we're taught about sexual harassment, sexual abuse, and they told the first thing about sexual harassment is, like, touching the shoulders and holding hands, getting closer, starting to flirt, and that's when it really kicks off, and that's what brought my attention even more to the subject. Sure. Or to that it was actually happening. Yeah. So I don't think kids realize. So you got health class after this incident and you recognize what had happened to you. So do you think, what what are some ways that maybe, should they be doing health class earlier or should there be other avenues for students to learn about what sexual harassment is, what gender bullying is, those types of things? Is there, what, what are your thoughts on how students might get stronger and more confident in reporting? I think there should be an assembly at the beginning of the year because if you start it earlier, it's not going to happen as much. And I say as much because guys, girls, anyone will will still do it because it's just how human nature is for some people. I think it should just be everyone has to go to this assembly because we had an assembly about pretty much everything else, like smoking, drinking, and stuff like that, but they don't bring up what other people can do to others and not what they just do to themselves. And I think that's a big part of school is because you're socially involved with pretty much everything, and that's where socially involved can actually really hurt someone. Right. So I think that's a great idea at the beginning of the year, add sexual harassment and bullying, those types of things, in. explain it. Um, Mia, from your perspective as a parent, what what kind of things are you thinking might be more supportive? I think Ava really hit it on the head is when she said they're covering drug use, alcohol use, all these other things. They are not covering this. Again, it's something that's taboo that they don't want to talk about to the children and say that it's it's not you know, right for them to, to be able to suffer like that. I'm not sure if it should happen in an earlier grade, although I'm sure in eighth grade, definitely things like that can happen. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty disappointed in the teachers not coming forward and not doing something. It worries me that, you know, other things are happening in the school that it's not being recognized and taken care of. That's some of the things I read in my research for this. Um, you know, there is that Title IX that's in schools that's been there forever. And there's Actually, most schools, and I was looking up schools, have a written policy on what they should do if there is a sexual harassment incident, right? If somebody reports it, they've noticed it, whatever. But it said specifically that um, most schools don't know how to handle actual incidents. So they have the policy, but they don't actually know how to handle it when it happens. So they either delay it, delay investigating it, they deny the allegations, or they kind of don't really pursue it. And, and your right. case is a prime example of that. I only, I, and I'm not sure if it's because, like I said, I'm, they know me in this community. So when I called, they knew who I was. Um, and, and that's why I got an immediate reaction. Um, I would only hope that that's the same reaction for anybody who calls the school and tells them that, tells them that their daughter was assaulted. Well, I think your assembly idea is a great idea and on many levels, A, to educate, but B, like we, we've been doing assemblies and education for years in high school about the dangers of drinking and the dangers of smoking. And we all know that there's a 
there's a percentage of students who choose to do that anyway. And so will, choosing, will, will students who are going to be sexually harassers, are they going to do it anyway, even if there's assembly? Maybe. But I'm a big believer in the fact that people need to know that when they're doing something that it's wrong. Like it needs to be acknowledged that what you're doing is wrong. And I'm going to tell you it's wrong. You may choose to do it anyway, but it's wrong. And you need to know it's wrong. And that to me is the first step toward creating that culture where it may happen, but it's not acceptable. You know, it's interesting, though, because I remember her telling me that when she wouldn't give the boy a hug, another boy did say, oh, come on, just give him a hug. What's wrong with giving him a hug? Yeah. But like Ava said, she didn't realize that sexual harassment started with touching the shoulders and touching the hands. And that needs to be said and that needs to be put out there, that that is your personal space. And kids will think it's innocent. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, the the actual definition of sexual harassment is sexual harassment is unwanted or unwelcome behavior of a sexual nature. So touching, saying things that inhibits your ability to learn, study, work. So, yeah, I, I think I think that's a huge part of it. Is they don't know what sexual harassment is. I mean, even innocent comments that seem innocent can be sexually harassment if they are making you uncomfortable. I think you bring up a good point, which is, I think there's two pieces to this education piece. You know, we've been talking about the need to educate students and teachers in terms of what is sexual harassment. But I think there's a second piece and that this is, and as the one guy in this conversation, I'll speak from the male perspective, that we need to be educated about the effect of the harassment. Because while one person may look at, like you said, the student said, well, just give him a hug. That's not a big deal. Um, or if the teacher herself even noted like, OK, he's a little handsy, but that's not a big deal. I, I think there's the need to make sure that that especially guys who are have a different cultural experience, that we have a, an appreciation for the significant effect that something that made to me seem like not a big deal. Well, actually, it is a big freaking deal because like you're talking about like uh, even as an administrator, I need to have an appreciation for the fact that there is a lingering effect. And it's not just about I mean, so it sounds like all right, and like you said, Ava, yourself, based on he has no history and there's no so like, all right, well, so if someone doesn't have any history and they have a first offense, then you give a warning. Well, that may be perfectly fine in terms of helping steer that student in a direction so that he doesn't do it anymore. Um, but what it doesn't do is address your need as a, um, I don't know, see, I don't know if I want to use the word victim or a survivor, but a person who has had to deal with this with this experience and its effects on you. And this goes back to, Karen, the whole thing you started with, this whole time of nine thing. Like the reality is our schools having an appreciation of that so we can ensure that students are getting access to an education. And I mean, it's not that that's necessarily happening here, but it sounds like it's definitely at risk. No, I mean, Ava, you specifically said that you are uncomfortable in that class while he's not coming near you, he's still looking at you. And so that is a consequence that you are still suffering because his punishment was not to get him out, to remove him from that classroom. So he got his warning, but you are still suffering. That's, I think, where Tim's going with this. And I agree, yeah, there are two sides. It's not only what not to do. And Mia, from a parental ex experience, uh, what do you think... Not separate from just your incident, but like as a parent, what would be good in the schools as a parent to know about things like this? What would you like to see maybe? What would I like to see besides the student assembly? There, I mean, there can be parent education on what your child could be going through if they suffered from sexual harassment. 
I'm not exactly sure how to get that out to the parents. They don't read flyers. They don't come to PTO meetings. Um, it really is a communication between the parent and the student. I almost just wish that parents weren't so afraid to talk about these subjects with their kids. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure how you educate a parent to be a better communicator with their children. Um, because like I said, you can get backpacks that are never opened by the parent and they just don't, they don't speak. Um, so getting that information to the parent is, is very difficult. Um, schools try in many ways to communicate and, uh, um, I think parents sure. are overwhelmed with their entire day to sometimes open their eyes and see what's going on with their own kids. It sounds kind of sad and sounds kind of uh, hopeless. Um, I'm not, you know, they can try in all those different ways by pulling it, doing a seminar. Like we do college seminars. Why wouldn't we do a, a sexual harassment seminar? It's getting them to attend. It's uh having them read and getting them to attend is a is a very hard thing well mia you're an awesome mom i'm impressed i mean i think uh more more moms being willing to stand up and talk she is with uh there you go see and i've only talked to you for what half an hour and i'm saying that i'm making that declaration but my last name is pope and i am catholic and have a degree in theology so i have a certain <laughs> amount of moral authority to that <laughs> that's um, great all true all true now thank you very much it's uh yeah you know it is it is all about communication and then ava i wanted to give you the floor last you get the last word anything you want to say you haven't said already now i'm putting you on the spot like you have to say something you don't have to i just want kids to know that they do have a voice and as long as they use it we can get more help to kids that don't necessarily want to use their voice because i know there's some kids that uh, like some of my friends that deal with this too. And I just want them to be able to know that they're not alone and that they can get th through this too and that they have a voice and they can speak up. 15 years old being so open and honest about things. That is amazing. So thank you so much, Ava. And Mia, you too, for being a parent extraordinary and really giving your daughter the voice and the courage to go forward as well. So Thank you. Thank you, Karen, for, for giving us this opportunity. It was it was great timing because this is what she needed to become stronger. Yeah. Mia and Ava both had some great suggestions on what could could happen in the schools that maybe is not happening now. And I really like the idea of including sexual harassment and gender bullying, those types of things, as part of every school's beginning opening assembly um, so that students are at least aware of what behaviors are constitute sexual harassment because I think that's part of, as Ava mentioned, that's part of the um, problem is she was not even aware what was happening to her was sexual harassment, even though she knew it made her feel very uncomfortable. Um, so that type of thing... Um, and so what would be nice is to kind of get the perspective of an administrator. The, you know, what? how do they see it? What do they think they can do? So, um, Tim, I'm going to let you kind of talk about our next guest here. I'm sure uh, when we're listening to Mia and Ava, I mean, we got we got their perspective and uh, an incredibly valid and, and powerful story they shared. But, I mean, at the same time, I think school should be, many are, making explicit steps to try to create a culture um, so that that harassment isn't um, acceptable and kids know what it is and 
know what it means to attend school in a culture of, of respect. And so I went to uh, asked a friend of mine. Our daughters play basketball together, and he's principal at uh, our local middle school, which three of my kids have gone through. If he would give uh, us some time and share just based on as an administrator, what are the things that schools can and should be doing to help create that culture so that kids are aware and that they know that um, that failure to show respect, that failure or that desire to demean is is harassment and isn't acceptable. We're actually in his office and uh, hey, as a parent, we've been my wife and I have been thrilled with the culture that he's created and the experience my kids have had here. Thanks. Um, but B, I also know that you've done some strategic um, things to create that culture. It's not just a bunch of nice people trying to do the right thing. Because I think that's true in every school that you walk into is a bunch of well-meaning, great people trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, you've actually put in some structures and the district has put in some structures um, to create a culture to hopefully prevent... Um, incidents like we heard from uh, from Ava earlier in the podcast. So I'm just going to start by letting you talk a bit about um, what you believe should be the ideal culture in an often harsh middle school environment for kids, and then uh, what uh, you and your staff, your team, have done to build that here. Okay. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on. Um, I think part of the key is to start with the end in mind and to give people a target or a goal for how we want school to look and feel for kids. Um, and we want to have a partnership between the students and um, the staff. Um, and where we have gone with that definition lately is something called the optimal learning environment. Through our work with the new teacher center, they have a, an optimal learning environment. And so we talk about what that environment looks like um, and how to get there. And really at the, at the center of that is the student and it's about having caring relationships with the students. Um, but while you're having that caring relationship, you have to have high expectations. You have to set that bar at a certain level for the students. Um, and you can't have a caring relationship with a student at the expense of uh, some quality that, that you know cheapens that relationship or lowers um, your expectations for the students. We've used learning targets for academics. We're starting to use learning targets for um, the social-emotional end of it. So if we have students in a group, we will talk to them and set routines for how that group work works in um, a classroom and, or in my classroom. Um, and so all of those things together, I think, uh, help set the stage. And then we have um, kind of the big overarching things that we do. We have positive behavior supports, PBIS. Um, we do recognition uh, breakfasts. We do student of the month. We have a number of business partners who uh, will recognize students with a lunch once a month. And so we take kids about four times, five times a month to the different um, restaurants. Uh, like many schools, we do advisor advisee. We do something called intercultural competence. That's a phrase that intrigues me, intercultural competence. What's an example of what a competency would be? Well, intercultural competence is all about being able to navigate difference. So there are uh, all sorts of difference in schools. Um, it can be socioeconomic, it can be uh, racial, cultural, 
um, or it can be, uh, you know, as simple as we have a, a primarily what you would say is a homogenous staff. Yet within that staff, there are a number of differences and differences in our expectations or the way that we were raised. And out of that came a group that we call the Moxie Squad. Um, and that's a student group that does professional learning. And, and so they take lessons both to the staff and teach the staff that intercultural competence skill or strategy that we want. Um, and then they also teach that to their peers. Can you give an example of our Next lesson that the students are going to do on Thursday is about rumors and about, the, about how to respond to or end or maybe not even start rumors. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to ask a series of questions. And if people um, in answering the question have spread a rumor, they're going to take a tube of toothpaste and squeeze a little bit out. And We'll go down the line with the questions and the kids. And then the end of that is, okay, now put that back in. Put that toothpaste back into the tube of toothpaste. And it's not easy to do. I, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so much like rumors and the way that they spread and the, and the harm that they do, especially to the, an 11, 12, 13, or 14-year-old mind, oh, for sure. um, we want students to think about the impact of, of that on others. Um, and so um, we would rather have kids, in this example, um, understanding and being supportive of each other's difference rather than making it something that, they're, that they end up picking out a kid for. I mean, it's much, that's a much broader competency than necessarily specifically mm -hmm. we're talking about harassment. But I would think that a piece of this would be culturally, even from family to family, like you said, we are in a pretty homogeneous district, right. although your student body is more, more diverse than your faculty mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. um, but even from family to family, what's appropriate touching? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, uh, I mean, some families are very huggy and some families right. are not at all. And so helping teachers and students have an appreciation for those to define it because I mean that's one of the like when we talked in the interview like well what one of the things that Ava had said is like well what is harassment and that when she first started experiencing it she didn't know that's what it was mm -hmm. until it was uh, to a point where it was a traumatic experience for her um, so I would think efforts like that would to help define I don't know if yeah, that, that ever plays into any of your the competencies but the idea of appreciating and respecting different family cultures would be important. Yeah, and Tim, I think that the optimal learning learning environment, which talks about equity um, and, and PBIS, where we create routines and we say, here are the things that we expect and this is what it looks like and we practice those, those things with the students. Um, those are all things that play into creating the right environment in a school because you're right we do everybody comes with a, a picture of what something looks like and um, we want to make sure that everybody has the same picture in mind so let me ask you to talk a bit about PBIS it's one of those acronyms that as parents yeah. we, we hear a lot because our kids talk about it but we don't necessarily know what that means <laughs> So PBIS um, is a, a program, Positive Behavior and Intervention Supports, and um, one of the big aspects of it is to, to teach students what our expectations are 
prior to being in the situation so that they can be successful. We do routines in a classroom. So what's the expectation of something as simple as getting up and sharpening your pencil? Um, or if you forgot a pencil uh, in class, what, what is it that the teacher expects? So then we talk about that, we work through it, and we, and we have a, a routine or a, an expectation there uh, that the kids understand. And that can be different from one class to the other. And then the other thing that we try to do with PBIS, and this ties into the caring relationship, is we want to give five positives for every one negative. Um, and so we, we talk about trying to, and it's, it's hard. It really is hard to do. Um, just think of your own personal life and, and trying to give five positives for every... I'm just thinking about my every, kids. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, but but we, we try to become aware and intentional with... Um, positives or noticing somebody doing something, um, reinforcing that behavior as opposed to um, picking on or just highlighting the negatives. My kids have used that acronym, yes. so like they, it's explicit not just to teachers but to students. Yeah, and it's really kind of the, the basis for our uh, advisor advisee program so that the students know. We want students to know what, what's expected of them, and we want them to know where it's coming from. Um, and, and when it is, it creates a, a better environment for the students because uh, you know, things are not a surprise to them. So uh, speaking of the advisory-advisee relationship, or actually any teacher, what, I mean, I assume that some of this happens in a teacher prep program, but what kind of um, training do teachers get in terms of being able to recognize that a student is stressed I mean like there is some sort of emotional psycho-emotional uh, stressor that uh, needs to be flagged and attended to that's a really tough question we do some of our professional learning here is around that social-emotional um, one of I think the advantages that we have as well is we are set up in a house system um, so we have a group of students who see the same group of teachers every day. Uh, math, language, arts, science, social studies, they all work together. Um, and so those teachers get to know those students very, very well. Um, and so it's not training per se, but it is, hey, Tim seemed a little off today in class. Did you notice anything in your class? And so conversations that they'll have and then um, teachers come to the office and, and let us know that there's something um, and we might refer a kid to guidance we might refer a, a student to um, you know somebody else we've got a life coach here who, who would help out with with some things um, so we just try to listen to, to that uh, and, and then support the teachers and ultimately the student one of the things that came out when we talked to uh, Ava and, and her mom, just because we didn't have anyone from the school there, obviously, mm -hmm. in this conversation. So, I mean, we got their perspective on how it was handled. But my question is relatively simple, I think. Um, I'm assuming, like, Dubuque, is there, like, a district policy if a student feels like they're harassed? Like, that's a district-level policy that you're mm -hmm. just enacting here as the building administrator. Yeah, absolutely. There is a district-level policy. Um, and we have had harassment situations. Um, we don't have sexual harassment situations in a middle school as much or, or right. you know. Um, but we do have harassment situations. We investigate those situations. We follow the policy when we do that. Occasionally we'll bring somebody in from the outside, from the district level, to complete the investigation. Um, we 
want to support students. Um, the, the whole bullying and harassment um, definition is really hard to pin down because what what is legally the definition of bullying and harassment isn't necessarily um, a definition that, that everybody has with that. It sounds like the situation heard earlier on the podcast was definitely a bullying and harassment situation. Um, but sometimes it's just kids um, in normal adolescent behavior. Right. Um, and we have to talk to them about kindness and being nice and making sure that that um, they understand the impact of, of what it is that they're doing to somebody else and that it's not repeated. When it becomes a repeated behavior and somebody's targeted, then we follow the policy and, and do um, take take action for, for harassment and bullying. And policy, I'm assuming, addressing both halves of the situation, both in terms of the... I hate to use the word victim, but the student Absolutely being, no. the student no, being harassed as well as the, the student who was um, who was doing the harassing. The perpetrator. Right? <laughs> I'm trying not to sound so criminal, well, but, but yeah. I mean, and it's a traumatic event. Oh, for sure. And and so we might as well treat it as a traumatic event and, and take it very seriously. And if that means we use some legal language, then we do. So, yeah, I guess it just, uh, this is less to interview you and more to just put this in the podcast. But, uh-huh. I mean... One of the things we end up talking about, regardless of what our topic is, is like, what do you need to know as a parent, teacher? And um, the big point thing I think here is know what your district policy is. So yeah. if you're going to the, and we say that a lot, like we did a whole episode on who to complain to. Uh-huh. Like in this case, a principal, like you're an administrator of a building, but a large part of that is enacting policies which are determined mm-hmm. at the district level. Um, and so in here, I would assume Dubuque, and I would assume most districts, like this is a district policy. Absolutely. And so as you're going into the building, um, to be aware of what that policy is, um, so that you know exactly in terms of what, where the administrator, where the teachers are coming from, because it's not, especially in, in, in serious cases like this, typically it's not you making an individual call. Right. It's really you enacting a policy which was created by a district administration with board input, which in theory right. includes community input. Yeah. Board um, approval. Yes. And then... Uh, um, so to know what that is before you walk in, yeah. to to know what you can and can't expect when you when you have to support your child or support your student um, in that situation. Yeah. And one of the things that we do is we we here have a twenty four hour rule. Um, so if somebody contacts a teacher with a, a concern, we want that teacher to contact that person back within 24 hours. And if they haven't heard from them, then you know, run it up the run up the flagpoles, so to speak. Um, so if you've reported something as a student, if you've reported something to a teacher and you don't think anything's happened and there's not been any follow-up, regardless of what it is, then you can ask the teacher again and see where we're at with that, or you can take it to the next level and you should feel like you know, within 24 hours, 48 hours, that's a lot of time in a school setting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you know, not a lot of time for you with curriculum work, right? But it's a lot of time with, in a school setting um, for a kid to come to school, a student to come to school where they're worried about something. You know, my advice to any parent is if you haven't heard back within 24 hours about, even if it's just, I'm working on it, right? Right. Um, 
it, call again. Be, you know, things come up, but it may be. I, I don't know the situation with, with Ava other than right. the podcast. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate that she feels like she went and reported something to a teacher and there was no action. And then when she went to the principal, there, there was action. Um, and that, you know, if she hadn't waited that time, maybe right. it could have. All right. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. But no one came in here the entire time. We, like 15 minutes she went without anyone having a crisis. Yeah, yeah, so it's a good day. Happy, awesome. happy, happy day. So Mark was awesome. But, you know, the point I wanted to close with is, is one that is this recurring theme as we do these podcasts, which is simply that most of these issues are incredibly powerful and challenging, and they're just not easy. Um, I mean, as Mia said when we talked to her and she's like, you know, how do you educate the parents? Like, do parents know what harassment is? Well, flyers, parents don't read flyers and they don't show up to PTO meetings. And it's really um, a matter of schools putting forth their best effort. And can they, I mean, can administrators, can teachers, can they say to themselves, yes, I'm putting forth my best effort to create that culture. And I, I, I do um, believe uh, Mark is. And I mean, like I said, three of my kids um, have gone through a school. The fourth one's going to start there next year, and I'm thrilled about it. And uh, one of my, I mean, I love the culture of that school, and I'm, I'm happy that uh, child number four is going to be matriculating there next year. It's been weird having a whole year with no Mark Burns in my life, um, I have to say. But uh, so this is the part where we, uh, this is the part where we be beg solicit for reviews, um, and ask and ask people to uh, review us on Apple Podcasts so that uh, we can get some feedback and um, our uh, podcast can get promoted to more folks. I mean, I'm hoping this is a welcome and thank you to maybe some new folks who heard wind about this because of this particular topic um, and will stick around and give us some feedback and uh, continue to listen. This was really such a inspiring kind of podcast, just listening to the stories of Ava. So, I mean, that's that's pretty powerful, 15-year-old standing up. Well, and, and your story. I, I don't want to forget it. I mean, your your own your own story your own story and experience is a valid and powerful one. Thank you. Yeah, it was a it was an interesting first year. Let me just tell you. All right. So thank you again for listening. Uh, rate us. Share the love of our podcast. We would love to get more followers. We'd love to get some feedback. Tim, thank you as always for the fun time doing this, and we will see you guys next time. Oh, there will always be those who scoff at intellectuals, who cry out against research, who seek to limit our educational system. But the educated citizen knows how much more there is to know, that knowledge is power, more so today than ever before. Be a participant and not a spectator. It is not the finest and strongest who are crowned, but they who enter the list. It is they who act, who rightly win the prize. I urge all of you today, especially those who are students, to act, to enter the lists of public service and rightly win or lose the prize.